Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Reflecting humbly on your achievements is fine. Resting on your laurels is not. From there, it's a slippery slope into complacency and old habits. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah examines this truth, how it became part of the story of David, and how it was resolved through an unlikely ally. Listen now as Dr. Jeremiah introduces the conclusion of his message, David and Abigail. And thank you for joining us today. Um, This is really a good story, one that you don't even want to interrupt like we had to yesterday. But uh, it shows Abigail uh, in, in, in action, saving David from himself, saving her husband, at least an attempt on her part, uh, from something he obviously deserved. She, she's an incredible woman, and uh, you want to listen carefully as we go back to 1 Samuel 25 and finish up the story. Friends, tomorrow we're going to talk about a subject that's very upfront and uh, present with us today, and that's depression. And I want to talk to you about David's depression. That's right. King David, the sweet singer of Israel, the author of the Psalms, went through depression. And we'll learn about it tomorrow and Friday right here on uh, this good station. Friends, we have a wonderful resource for you during this month. I've been telling you about it almost every day during the month of June. It is the compilation of the book of Psalms and uh, the book of Proverbs into one beautiful leather-covered reading journal where you read five psalms, then you read one chapter of Proverbs, five more psalms, another chapter in Proverbs. Doing that every day for a month makes it possible for you to read those two books in just one month. Do you know that I have some friends who have been reading this every month, ever since they started? Hundreds of times through Proverbs and Psalms. And you know what they tell me? Every time I go through it, I learn something more. Every time I go through it, something else impresses me. These are two of the great books of the Old Testament, and we want you to have this beautiful leather-covered edition of The Focused Life, which is Psalms and Proverbs, for your reading. It's yours for the asking when you send a gift to Turning Point. So thank you for your gift, and uh, thank you for involving yourself in the study of the Word of God intensely, as so many of you do. Let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel 25 and finish up our discussion of David and Abigail. Enter Abigail. What a model woman she was. She was a very interesting lady. She was a faithful wife. And she is about to be used by God to deflect the anger of God's servant and keep him from making a terrible mistake. But that is not just an episode in her life. That's characteristic of her life because she had the following qualities. First of all, she was a good woman. She is described back at the beginning of the chapter... In verse 3, as Abigail and the woman was of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. Now she was good in two ways. First of all, she was good in the mind. She was a wise woman. The scripture says she had things together up here. She had her mind together. And the Bible also says in very frank language, she was together bodily too. 
because the scripture says she was a beautiful countenance. That's an Old Testament euphemism for she was put together quite well. Now, you don't often find that either in a man or in a woman. Good looks and brains all wrapped up in one. And Abigail had it. She was a good woman. In fact, if you follow her and see what she does, and we'll get to that in a moment, when she confronts David as an intercessor for her own husband, there is every evidence of her gracious spirit. First of all, in verse 23, we notice that she comes upon David and she falls on her face and she bows herself to the ground before David. And then if you go through the text, you will discover that she describes herself as a maidservant some six times. She refers to David as the Lord some eight times. And laced throughout the passage is this little phrase, I pray thee, I pray thee, I pray thee, which is equivalent to our please. It's interesting to point out her gracious spirit because remember, her husband was churlish. And churlish is as close to the opposite of gracious as you can get in the human language. So that everything Nabal was, she was not. Or to say it in a better way, she was everything she should be in opposition to Nabal who was such an evil man. Which tells us one thing. It tells us that you don't have to become like the person you live with if that person is not like God. Somehow she had escaped the evil, obnoxious spirit of her husband and she stood above all of that and she was the epitome of graciousness when she met with David. Number three, I'm overwhelmed at what this woman did. Here is a band of angry soldiers coming after her husband to kill him and to kill every male in the camp. And one of the servants escaped and came, and I'll watch carefully, he didn't come and warn Nabal. He came and told Abigail what was going on. Verse 14, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master, and he railed on them. But the men were good to us, and we were not hurt. Neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields, and they were a wall unto us. Now, therefore, know and consider what thou wilt do, for evil is determined against our master and against all his household. Isn't it interesting that the servant escaped and came and told Abigail instead of Nabal? He knew to tell Nabal would do no good at all, so he came to Abigail. Now, Abigail's response is one of the most gallant responses you could ever expect from a woman in a situation like that. It's unbelievable what she did. The scripture says in verse 18 that Abigail made haste, took 200 loaves, two bottles of wine, five sheep ready dressed, five measures of parched corn, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and laid them on donkeys. You talk about overkill. <laughs> and she said to her servants, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. And she told not her husband Nabal. She was a smart lady. And it was so as she rode on the ass that she came down by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her and she met them. And then she began to plead for her husband. Hmm. Can you imagine the courage that it must have taken for Abigail to do that? She had absolutely no knowledge of how David might respond to her. He had already expressed his intentions to kill everybody in Nabal's household. And she had no way of knowing if David would requite or if he would take the anger out on her. 
But in courage and in gallantry, she took the initiative to try to stem the tide of this man's anger and to save her unworthy husband and her household. She was a gallant woman. And note number four, Abigail is a picture of godliness in this entire episode. And I'd like to suggest to you four different ways she expressed her godliness, or at least three. Back in the early part of the chapter, as we read a few moments ago, we learned that Abigail had a good understanding. She was a wise woman, and her understanding included the knowledge of at least three things. I'd like to suggest them to you. First of all, she knew David had been faithful to God. Notice what it says in verse 28. As she gives her speech now to David to try to stem his anger, she says, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord fighteth the battles of the Lord, and evil hath not been found in thee all thy days. Abigail had a good knowledge of David. She had heard about his wars and his fights. She knew about his victory over Goliath. She heard about all the Philistines he had defeated and how he had faithfully protected the shepherds. And she said, David, I know something about you. I know that you and the Lord are in partnership and you fight your battles together. And because of that, you have been a godly man and I know God is with you. She knew that God had been faithful to David. But number two, she not only knew David had been faithful to God, number two, she knew God would be faithful to David. Notice what it says in verse 29. And this is a tremendous picture of this woman's understanding of the protective hand of the Lord. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul. Now watch carefully. But the soul of my Lord, David, shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. And the souls of thine enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of a sling. What a tremendous description. She said, David, I not only know that you've been faithful to God, but I know that God has been and will be faithful to you. And then she reminded David of that. She said, listen, your life is wrapped up in the bundle of life that belongs to God. And you're secure with him. And your enemies, why, they're like a little stone that you'll sling out of a slingshot. David, they're like nothing. And she told this man of God how carefully protected he was in the hands of the Lord. And then she knew one other thing. She knew that David had been faithful. She knew that God would be faithful, but she also knew that sin was faithful. And notice what she says in verses 30 and 31. What a wise woman. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all the good that he hath spoken concerning thee and shall have appointed thee ruler over Israel that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, then remember thine handmaid. What does she say? She's saying, David, now just think about this for a moment. You are about to become the king of Israel. And don't let some little petty grievance that you have avenged be done by you and then become a matter of conscience to you after you begin to serve and you're serving as king of Israel and all of a sudden this thing comes back into your mind and it keeps you from having a clear conscience before God. David, don't do that. It's not worth it, David, to take the life of this man and let that blood be on your hands and ruin your clear conscience before God. Don't do it. What a godly woman. What tremendous counsel she gave to David. Not any of it contrived, but all of it candid and honest. 
because she knew the faithfulness of David and the faithfulness of God, and she also knew the faithfulness of sin, that sin never goes away. It continues to come back and plague us when we do something like David was about to do. And how did David analyze this? Notice what he said in verse 32. David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thine advice. And blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with mine own hand. Look at verse 35. So David received of her hand that which she had brought him and said unto her, Go up in peace to thine house. See, I have hearkened to thy voice and have accepted thy person. And that one woman all by herself stopped David from taking Nabal's life. Never, ever underestimate the power of a woman. Don't ever do it. This godly woman was a tool in the hands of the Lord to accomplish what God had for him. Now there's a sequel to this story, and I have to summarize it quickly. When Abigail finished talking with David, she went home. And I suppose that like any woman, she would have expected to be encouraged. Maybe she could have gone home and told her husband what she had done and how she had settled the problem, and he would have said, Abigail, I'm so proud of you. But you know what happened? Well, let me read it for you. This faithful woman who kept this furious soldier from killing this fool farmer got home. Verse 36, And she came to Nabal, and behold, he held a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunken. And she told him nothing less or more till the morning light. When she got home, after having saved her husband's life, what she found was, what she had obviously found many times, Nabal was stone drunk. And he was so inebriated, she couldn't even conversation with him. So she just went to bed. She let him go to bed. I wonder what went through her mind that night. She pillowed her head. Well, the next morning, Nabal got up, and the scripture says when the wine was all gone out of Nabal, that she sat down perhaps on the side of the bed, and she said, Nabal, let me tell you, I need to tell you what happened yesterday. You know, David came back with his soldiers, and here's what I did. Here's how I handled it. And the Bible says a very interesting thing that his heart died within him, and he became as a stone. Most of the scholars who have studied this say this is probably the description of a stroke. Nabal had a stroke. If it is not a stroke, it simply is an indication of the fact that at that moment, when Nabal realized that his wife had fought his battle, that she had done what he should have done, that he just totally lost his heart, and the Bible says, in 10 days, the Lord smote Nabal and he died. Please let me remind you that what David thought to do for himself, the Lord did for him. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And God always pays his bills. I hesitate to bring this up because it sounds almost like the man is insensitive, but it is not that. The word got back to David that Nabal had died, and David didn't say, let's pray or let's have a service. The scripture says, and when the servants of David, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord, which is like saying, hallelujah, the man's gone. 
Two things must have popped into David's mind, one of which we will discover in a moment. The first one is that God had heard David's cry and that what David had refused to do the work that God alone can do, which is vengeance, God had done his work. And David understood, probably as God understood, that Nabal was such an obnoxious, wicked man. He didn't belong on this earth. God took him out. But the other thing that I think was in David's heart that caused him gladness is reflected in what happened next. David sent some messengers back to Abigail and said, Listen, Nabal's gone. Why don't you come and be my wife? He thought to himself, If a woman can handle me like she handled me, I need her at home. She is a wise woman. I'm going to get her for myself. And so after Nabal was dead, David took Abigail to his wife. And I want to point out something for you ladies. There is no evidence that Abigail prayed about it even for one day. Notice what it says. And she arose and bowed herself on her face to the earth and said, Behold, let thine handmaid be a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. And Abigail, watch this, she hasted. (laughs) And and she arose and she rode upon an ass with five damsels of hers that went after her. And she went after the messengers of David and she became his wife. Listen, when you live with a churlish man for all those years and you get a chance to be with a king and a man after God's heart, you don't pray about it much. And Abigail didn't, man. She was excited and ready and she was gone. Well, you know, there's some tremendous lessons in this passage. And we've covered the chapter very quickly, but you can see it's a great story. One of the best stories in the life of David, I think. Let's talk for just a moment about some things that come out of this that might be of of application to us. Do you know there may be some here today who are like Nabal? A fool is somebody who tries to live his life without God. Maybe you're obnoxious like Nabal, too. You know, it's possible to be like that. And I just remind you that if the scripture doesn't teach us anything else, the 25th chapter of 1 Samuel does teach us that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The wages of sin are death. And Nabal sowed the oats and they were reaped one day. The Bible says that the Lord smote Nabal. God took care of that. You can only go on so long in your life being a Nabal before God takes care of you. And my friend, if you are like that today, if that's your lifestyle, and maybe you have a sweet, godly woman that you're married to, my friend, you may be like that. You may think you can go on the rest of your life like that, and maybe you think that's a manly lifestyle, but one of these days, God is going to care for that problem. I hope you're not like that. I'll tell you what, I know more than a few ladies in our congregation who are married to ungodly men who make life miserable for them every day that they breathe who make it hard for them to come to church and make it hard for them to rear their children in the things of God and make it hard for them to be godly and are constantly trying to drag them back into the dirt of the world. My friend, if you're like that today and you have been blessed with a godly woman, look in the mirror and ask yourself, is it worth living like Nabal if you have to die like him? And then today, I'm sure there are some Abigails here. Do you know one of the things that I think is so great about this story is it teaches us that we can become all the things our partners are not. You know the old adage about the fact that if we live with somebody for long enough, we become just like them? That's a wonderful adage if it's two godly people living together. But I want to tell you something. If you're an Abigail here today and you're married to a Nabal, 
You don't have to become like him. Abigail teaches us that it is possible for a woman to maintain her spirit of gratitude, her graciousness, her love, her goodness, and her godliness, even though she's chained to an animal like Nabal was. And please note that through this whole experience, Abigail never put him down. She was very candid about him when she was asked. But she actually went out and faithfully tried to support him and tried to care for him. And she did not leave Nabal until Nabal died. She stayed in the situation and she was faithful to the place where she was. As difficult as it was, she didn't walk away from it. God honored her. And in the end, he rewarded her. Abigail was a bright spot in David's life. Then I would suggest that there are probably a lot of us here today like David. I tell you, this story really challenged my own life at the tremendous spiritual battle, which is the portion of every one of us. What I've written down in my notes about David at this particular juncture in his life is this. It's a sobering thought, but it's true. And that is that no spiritual lesson is ever finally learned. And the reason I say that is this. This follows hard on the heels of one of the great moments in David's life. When David had Saul in the palm of his hand in the cave of En and 400 men around, and he had the opportunity to kill his enemy, and yet he cut off the hem of Saul's garment, and even for that he was smitten in his heart. And David said, even though this man has unrighteously come after me and he's tried to kill me and he's hunted me all over the wilderness of En made a fugitive out of me. He's the Lord's anointed and I will not take revenge against him. He refused revenge. He risked reconciliation and he restored the relationship. What a great moment in David's life. (laughs) And yet, within a week... Here is some little petty grievance by somebody David has never even met before who's done nothing other than refuse to give him what he wants, and David has just about done the worst thing he could do. The big thing that he overcame was a moment of glory, and in the next breath he almost did the same thing in an incidental way that would have had just as disastrous an effect upon his life. Do you know what I've learned? I'm surprised in some respects that after David survived the experience in the cave of En he didn't set up seminars on how to restore broken relationships. As soon as we have one victory over any kind of thing in our life, have you realized how we want to get up and give a testimony how God has given us victory over that? That scares me to death. And I want to tell you something. This life we live, men and women, is a day-to-day involvement. And we should be thankful for the victories we get over major problems. But as soon as we rejoice about that too much, Satan comes in the back door and he takes us right back to the same place and shows us that we are no match for him in our own strength. Apart from God's faithfulness, we are doomed to repeat past mistakes. And apart from God's faithfulness, we are doomed to reproduce the failures of others in our own lives. I pointed out to you already that the very thing Saul did to David, David now finds himself doing to Nabal. So if there are Nabals here today who are foolish, we need to repent. 
if there are Abigails here who are faithful, you need to be encouraged. And if there are Davids here who are furious, you need to back up a bit and remember that anger is destructive and ask God to give you the grace that he gave to David for he is the same God today and he will do for you what he did for that man. Amen. Now you're beginning to realize more and more why I love the study of David because every story is unique. Um, Some of these stories are stories you've never heard before unless you've been reading the Bible. And they're stories you would never dream up because you know, as you read them, this is from another source. This is from God. We have been working on a book project recently that involves a lot of stories. And uh, one of the characteristics of good stories is it's not one that you've heard a lot. It's not a common story. It's not one that, oh, yeah, I remember hearing that somewhere else. Try to find new stories. Well, the Bible presents these stories new every time. And uh, the story of David and Abigail is like that. I hope you're being blessed and encouraged and that you're learning from it. And that's our goal. Tomorrow, uh, part one of David's Deep Depression. I'll tell you the story about one of the world's greatest preachers of another generation who went through depression. We'll talk about it openly tomorrow here on Turning Point. So be sure and be with us. See you then. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. If Turning Point is helping you to grow your faith, please share it with us by writing to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, RPO, Sawasan, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or calling 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of The Focus Life, a month of daily readings from Psalms and Proverbs in a beautiful leather-bound book. Yours for a gift of any amount. You can also stream more than 1,200 of Dr. Jeremiah's messages on demand with our streaming service, Turning Point Plus, all for a monthly gift of any amount. Visit turningpointplus.org for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Tender Warrior, on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. When two helium-filled balloons came down in the yard of an Alabama home, there was something surprising tied to them, a woman's wedding rings. A search finally found the owner, 
a divorced woman who wanted to get rid of the rings as a way of cutting her ties to her past marriage that didn't work. That's one way of cutting our ties, but the Apostle Paul wrote about a way that covers everything in our past. He said that when we become a Christian, we are brand new creations in Christ. That's right, brand new. Jesus said it was like being born again. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to start over on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.